Happy Tuesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, where every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the best space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane, and uh, Chris Henry is busy rolling up the runways and putting away all the confetti and posters from the uh, Experimental Aircraft's uh, Air Venture uh, event uh, from uh, a few weeks ago. They're still, they still they got a lot of push brooms in that place up in Oshkosh, um, but they're, he's, he's got to supervise all that, so he's, 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 a, he's off-site for today. But in his place, uh, I have a good, long, uh, long-time, long-time friend of mine who uh, is actually the... Uh, for this series, he is the first person we actually have in the studio who's been on screen. So uh, returning to the uh, Movies by Minutes microphones is my good friend, Rory Airwood from uh, Brewster, New York. <laughs> How you doing, Jim? <laughs> doing good, doing good. Glad to have you on board. And um, I think about so many days that we spent uh, sitting in movie theaters throughout Putnam County and uh, Western Connecticut just staring up at the screen and saying what was wrong with this. And then we get to do it right here in the, in the future, in the 21st century. It's, it's nice that nothing's changed. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We can, now we can just slow it down and watch. We don't have to you know, do it all at once. Um, you didn't have to go see Star Wars 14 times to like catch all the stuff. You yeah, yeah. Memorizing the script was a little trickier back then. But, uh, <laughs> but this, I mean, this is a little bit different because you're on both sides of the screen now. So it's... Uh, uh, and this is probably one of your longest on-screen appearances I've ever seen you in. I know you were, you previously did a star turn in The Rocketeer as uh, one of the G-Men. <laughs> yes, yes, my illustrious career as a background artist in Hollywood. Yes, yes, yes. Well, um, you know, after your uh, a- excellent service of uh, protecting our nation in uh, the U.S. Army and the National Guard, you built a second career as a, a, a military uh, armaments and uh, general. How to stand up straight and look good uh, on screen uh, business, which which fathers do every day, by the way. Huh. Stand up straight. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I actually was was running the two careers uh, concurrently. Oh wow! So I went out to went out to Hollywood in uh, well, actually, I started working in the film industry technically probably in 1985 when I worked for a very small uh, literary agent on Long Island who. Uh, later turned out to be crazy. <laughs> but then I decided to to try my fortunes in Los Angeles and went out there thinking I would be an actor and, and apparently unaware that like 100,000 other people had the same idea. <laughs> so that proved to be not such a great thing, but uh, it, it led to good things later. So it was probably a good direction, if not the, uh, if not the right place. But I did, uh, I did end up doing a lot of extra work between 1988 and 1994, and one of the last things I did was Apollo 13. Um, I had I had decided it was time not to do extra work anymore, but then Apollo 13 came up, and I thought, <laughs> I am so not missing a chance to yes. work on Apollo 13. <laughs> you, you can, you know, you no matter how much you grow up, you're still a space geek. If you were, you know, if you if your parents woke you up, you know, in the middle of of the night for 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 a seven year old to uh, watch Neil Armstrong walk on the moon, then you were never going to turn down a chance to work on Apollo thirteen. Oh, for sure. I mean, to have uh, to have Ed Harris hands on hips, st- glaring at you while you bring me a, <laughs> a, a white box. I mean, this is really this is the epitome of your film career here. This, this is just... this is it. This is it. I, I got to work with the greats. Um, they didn't know who I was, but I got to work with them. 
and I can I can say that my bacon number is one. So that's, yes. that was it was worth doing just for that. Wow, it's uh, it, it. I mean, it, this you do take up most of the minute here. I mean, well, actually, the box takes up most of the, the minute. Box. But great wrist work. Great, uh, you know. It, obviously, you cleaned your nails, and uh, it's like this is my big moment. Don't blow it. This yeah. could be. I could I could have a career as a hand model. <laughs> yeah, this is. This is where it's at, and uh, and those are some boss uh, sideburns you got going there. Those are just really well. well I'll tell you how I, I got involved in the project. I don't remember what I did just before I went to the the go see for Apollo thirteen, but I literally had all my hair off, and I don't know if that was because I was out at Fort Irwin with the National Guard, or because I had worked on something just prior, or a combination of the two. But I literally had taken all my hair off. And of wow. course, it's it's 1994. It's the fall of 1994, maybe August or September. And I, I go for this, you know, go see for Apollo 13. And most of the time, that's handled at a very low level. That's you know the casting directors. But in this case, Aldrich, the first AD, was at the casting session. He wanted to hand pick the guys who were going to be working in Mission Control, and he saw that I had all my hair off, and we chatted for a minute. And, you know, he asked me about whether I'd keep my hair that short. And I said, sure. But then when uh, it came, and that was like a month before shooting. So when it came time to actually go to set, I had grown my hair out, but told hair and makeup they could they could do whatever they wanted with it. So they, you know, I'd let everything grow and they could get the sideburns of the whole nine yards. They were very happy with it. So, yeah, I was I was very 70s looking. So. Yeah, you, you were reeking of 1970 in that... Uh... <laughs> That uh, ultra green um, shirt and the and the tie—it's just very wow. Yeah, I, I I wish I could take credit for that, but that's wardrobe. Wardrobe said we have something for you. <laughs> so, wow, and, and and even the watch the, that it's like yeah. a Hamilton or something there. It's just very uh, that, very period appropriate. You know, as you might imagine on on a on a Ron Howard film, attention to detail was was a big big issue for them. So you know, all that stuff was was painstakingly researched. Where where was the uh, the Mission Control studio? Was it at Warner? Where, where that was, was at Universal. It was at Universal. Yeah. Okay. And I'll tell you some uh, some funny stories about that. Um, they brought in uh, Jerry Bostic and who's the other Jerry? Was the technical advisor? I never remember his name. Uh, I can't. I, I I don't have IMDb open in front of me. I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but so so first the first thing that happened when they assembled us. All of the guys, actors, and background who are going to be working on the show. The first thing that happened is that we got a briefing from Jim Lovell, which was worth the price of admission all by itself. For sure, yeah. Yeah, so we, we spent, and Jim told us about his, his experience in the space program and on the mission and how important it was what the guys in Mission Control did and, and reiterated, as, you, as you've, you've heard, about what a team effort it was. That the three yeah. of them got in the spacecraft, but there were like 400,000 Americans involved in building the, 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 the spacecraft and monitoring it and everything involved in the mission it was just such a huge endeavor by so many people. And he wanted to make sure we understood how important the guys in mission control were in, in flying the mission and bringing them home. I think it was a great, if all it was was a pep talk, it certainly focused everybody in the room on how 
important it was to get this right. And even though, you know, here I am a background guy with, um, with with no lines whatsoever, but you really, you know, you came to work every day on the set thinking that you were telling an important story and that it mattered. How many days were you shooting in, in the, on the Mission Control set? I don't know how many days, but it took a month. I want to wow. say it took the month of November of 1994. Wow. And I wasn't on set every day because you were just called based on what your need was. But we were on that location for a month. And wow. um, after after Jim spoke to us, the two Jerry's, as they were called, kind of like the two Bobs in office space, only a lot smarter. But they they had both been on the mission and and they talked to us for about two hours and were on set the entire time. But they the set on Universal was so realistic that they kept referring to things as if they were in Houston. And so they would say, you know, if you go downstairs, that's where the computers are. It's like, no, the computers were in Houston. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was so, the set was so completely authentic that they would refer to things as being downstairs and down the block. And they talked about this bar they went to that was right outside the gate off the facility. And, the, and they're gesturing with their hands. You know, like, yeah, it's right over here. <laughs> like, well, yeah, 1,400 miles away, but, but I thought that was, um, that was a tremendous tribute to the production designer and, and, the, and the set builders that it looked that real, that these two guys that had been there were completely sold on it. So oh, it, it, is, it is stunning. I mean, the, the video displays are incredible. It just, it, it looks, it just looks like Houston so much. I mean, every, you know, we grew up look, watching this on yeah. TV. And uh, I mean, it's, I'm surprised that Universal never turned this into part of the tour. That you know, it's just leave it as a permanent set and let people walk through. And this is what you know. This is this is what set designers can do. Yeah, it uh, it I I I think it, it just given. Um, yeah, I mean, 20 years earlier they probably would have, but uh, you know, in in 1994, 95 when the movie comes out, people people are fascinated with the story, but. Uh, the Apollo 13 uh, exhibit probably would not be a, a moneymaker for them to compare to Sharknado or whatever. Yeah, it was yeah, then. You, you can't shake the, it. There, there weren't any uh, uh, sense around effects to uh, to promote. No, so, no. Maybe um, maybe the top of the rocket. Yeah, as good as they can. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Chris was telling me earlier about how. Uh, this uh, the white vest that Gene Kranz is putting on there. Yeah. That uh, this this actually really happened. That it wasn't ready, and uh, his wife thought that. Uh, or it, Gene Gene talked to his wife, and she said, "I don't really think I'm going to be able to finish this in time." So he went to work that morning without without a vest, which he had always worn his lucky vest. Right. And uh, she sent it in with a coworker. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he she actually what what happened is back during the Korean War when they were they were stationed in Seoul. He would bring her back dresses and things, Korean dresses, yeah. and she never she never liked any of them. So what she used to do is <laughs> she'd take them apart and make something else. So this was actually made out of one of her old dresses from back in the Korean War days. It's a it's a great story. I mean, and that's the kind of thing that uh, that the, the Jerry's would 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 tell us. You yeah, know? and they obviously, I mean, uh, they had done so much research for the script, but I mean, it was they would validate all these stories. So while we're prepping the the scene, they're telling us these stories about the vest, and and it was yeah, it was it was. I, it, I didn't have any lines, but at least I had a bit of business that they can still see me on screen. Yeah, the man so. with the box, and you get to nod knowingly. You know, I get to nod knowingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and and a nice handoff. 
I, uh, I considered uh, maybe trying to get on the uh, New York Jets after that. Yeah, so I can yeah, certainly take a handoff. Well, you're doing, doing those laterals back and forth between yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, that's a continuous shot too, as far as I it can is. tell. Or yeah. sorry, it does, there is a cut around second twenty-five where they go to they go to another scene, but yeah. Um, but then you're doing that. But that one scene where um, you go through and the and the two uh, flight controllers are, are chatting. Right. You come right back into the scene. So, yeah, we um, shot it as a continuous shot. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, we had to uh, we had to walk through it a couple of times and then we shot it. And that's one, one thing about um, working on a Ron Howard set is there isn't a lot of lost motion. I, I've, I've rarely worked on a set where someone is as well prepared as he was because he just showed up every day knowing exactly what he had to shoot and how he wanted to shoot it. And they got they got through the pages and that onto the next scene. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think I think I muffed one of the takes. Uh, he didn't like what I was doing, <laughs> so oh. so we went back and did it again. But yeah, a continuous take, you know. So we walked through it and was like, all right, let's let's wow. let's go. And you you were directed by Ron Howard, not by the AD or no? I was directed by Ron Howard. Like here's oh. you know here's here's, yeah. here's here's what I want you to do. And he's a very nice guy, but he also. He's always got so much he wants to get done, and he knows what it is, and his like mind is like always like leaning forward. That that he comes across as there's a certain sense of impatience. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, so you're like you're a little bit like ah, I don't want to screw this up. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the last thing on his to do list, and it's like he yeah, really wants exactly. to check that box. Exactly. I want to get the shot just right, and you, you with the green shirt and the sideburns, <laughs> don't screw this up. <laughs> Well, these people came in here to work today. And exactly. We need you to get the job done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. But I, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that's not authentic about Mission Control, from from what I understand, and that is is that um, the the character when they picked me to to play this this role, so called, I was given the title AFD White, Assistant Flight Director White, and everybody yeah. in the set. All the background and all the actors knew exactly who they were in terms of wh what their job was in mission control and what their stations were. I mean, they actually did take the time to make sure everybody, if you had a bit of business in the background, you kind of knew what it was your guy was supposed to be doing. So you oh, okay. could look like you actually knew what you were talking, you, what you were trying to accomplish. And as the assistant flight director, White, I my character in mission control would have been sitting next to Ed Harris. Oh, okay. And, and when the casting was done... Um, for the background, that was a month before we actually went to the set. So the set had, was in the process of being built. Yes. And I think when I was picked, the idea was I, I did look, you know, 1970. I sold that. And I think that Aldrich, the first AD, who was a, was a wonderful guy, I think he was, just in case this guy's got to talk, I want a guy that, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. he's not going to screw this up. So when we got to the set, I went to, like, find my place, and it didn't exist because the one concession they'd made to filmmaking in on that set was they took away the, the separate seat next to Ed Harris just to have him be the, the guy at the one station in control. And, and from a filmmaker's standpoint, that makes perfect sense, is to focus on your lead. But I was terribly disappointed. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> I, you I, became the uh, assistant uh, haberdasher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, wait, 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 I was going to have a moment here. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I was going to be sitting next to uh, Ed Harris the entire time, and instead yeah. I, I make this brief appearance, and then I was like, shuttled around the background for various things but ah yeah you get you get to cheer at the end with the uh, <laughs> I get to cheer at yeah. the end. <laughs> which by the way is my least favorite part of the movie ah. is at the very end on the on the carrier 
when they, you know, they, 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 re, they recover the, the capsule and they're, they're home safe. And the guys on the deck of the carrier cheer. I think that's like the worst moment of the movie. It's the least authentic moment of the movie is these like 90s guys cheering. <laughs> just like, I, I don't know. I don't buy it. It's yeah, not... they're all Arsenio holding the thing. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh... it's like, um, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad nobody high five. But, yeah, know, yeah. It, it it's just... still, it's just, uh, that's wrong. I just, I just actually watched the film about two or three weeks ago and I got to that scene and went, yeah, I hate that scene. <laughs> <laughs> how was, uh, how was Ed Harris? Did you have any interaction with him at all or? Only a little bit. I mean, he, he's a very serious actor. He's a good guy. And, um, I didn't have to, I, our, our personal interaction wasn't that great, but I mean, he, he was there to work yeah. and he, and he takes it seriously. And, and I don't know if he's a method actor or what his model is, but he certainly, showed up ready to work every day and it kind of looked like gene the whole time <laughs> just like yep he's that guy he's the guy yeah, in charge he hasn't he hasn't dropped you a line to see if you want to be on westworld or yeah <laughs> no, <laughs> not not yet i mean oh, you know well. not that i don't keep looking at my phone but yeah. Yeah. ed call me buddy <laughs> Bobby, uh, you know, so, <laughs> um i did there, there was one day when um tom hanks and bill paxton and kevin bacon stopped by the set wow and um, they kind of, I think it was, I mean, they, they were on the lot and they wanted to stick their head in and see Mission Control. And they also wanted to like kind of connect with everybody because, yeah. you know, they would have. The astronauts would know who everybody was. And I didn't chat with Tom Hanks or Kevin Bacon, but I did chat with Bill Paxton for a minute uh, because just we happened to be standing next to each other. And I, I mentioned to him that he was a legend in the military because of his uh his performance in aliens aliens yes came over man. <laughs> came over <laughs> and he said any any you know he laughed and he's like you know yeah i get a lot of i get a hard time about that you know just and the and the best part of that was i worked with bill about three years later i was hired to work as the military advisor on a movie called the bright shining lie and then bill was cast as the lead so I actually was the technical advisor and worked with him a lot and, and told him that story. It's like, this isn't actually the first time we met. So we had a laugh about that. Yeah, it's a good thing you didn't bring up weird, weird science or something. Just, yeah. <laughs> well, well he, um, he, he mentioned the, um, is it uh, True Lies, where he plays the car salesman? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, he says he gets a, he gets a very, he gets... He, he got, you know, harassed, not harassed, but I mean, people busted yeah. his chops about that the whole time. And, and I, um, I always admired him as an actor because he was not afraid to do stuff like that. No, he no, was, I mean, he was very, a very likable guy, you know, yeah. even in, he didn't have to be, he didn't have to be the hero. You no, know, like, I mean, no. Was, and, and could play a jerk, could play a, you know, a weirdo. <laughs> it was fine with him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was acting, but he was, yeah. he, he was great to work with. I mean, a genuinely... A, a good performer and and also a good guy to spend if you're going to spend four months on in on a set in thailand a good guy to to be out in the heat and humidity with just to hang out yeah didn't didn't uh, complain too much no. um th did you happen to talk to clint howard at all i talked to clint a little bit who's who was a very you know i mean it talked about twilight zone and 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 um uh, yeah, Star Trek. His, yeah, his yeah, feelings on Tranya. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and, and a, a good sense of humor about it. Brothers directing the movie. And uh, he, he was a good actor in his own right. And, you know, I mean, his, his performance is spot on in Apollo yeah. 13. It's a small role. Completely believable. Completely yeah. believe that that guy is like wrestling with what he's seeing on the, on, on the screen. 
Yeah, trying trying to figure out some polite way of telling me we're not going to the moon anymore. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, you know, it's like right? yeah. like I don't want to be the guy that says it, but I yeah. I gotta say it. So <laughs> here it you is. Tell Gene. No, you tell Gene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who was um, Howard Duvall? Was another guy, Robert Duvall's um, nephew, I think. Um, yeah, he is a relative. I'm not yeah. sure what the relationship is. But yeah, but just uh, another just. Another guy just showed up, ready to work, happy yeah. to be happy to be on the show. All the guys were just really happy to be where they were. That, yeah. that this was a great show to be working on. Obviously, it's a Ron Howard film, but I think um, a lot of them were fascinated with space. A lot of them just thought, "This is cool. This is really cool." Yeah, so. yeah. I probably went out to the libraries and read up on stuff. That yeah, I didn't, I didn't yeah. know what Telmu did. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like taking out their slide rules and going, "How does this work?" Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, you think you think about how many of them are, you know, I mean, Ron Howard and, and Clint Howard, they, they grew up with this stuff. So they know, yeah. you know, th this is like you go to work like like any anything. It's like, you know, working in your dad's shop and you're, you know, you're going to take over the, the, the Chevy repair business or something yeah. like that. It's just it it really this is this is their milieu. So uh, it, it must be it must be very, I mean, like home, basically. I mean, you're just yeah. uh, you're there every day. It's it's, um, it's comfortable, it's, you know. Did, did you get to see any of the uh, any of the Apollo sets? I did not. They they I don't even know where they built the Apollo sets. Obviously, the one was on the uh, was on the jet. Yeah. But I don't I don't even I mean I imagine they were on the Universal lot, but I never got to uh, got to see them. Yeah, I mean it's just the the idea that they they built a you know they they rebuilt a, a lamb to get the one the, just the one shot of the yeah. the, the dream yeah the dream sequence they built and, a lamb uh, that was. That was pure uh, Hanks and Howard getting <laughs> wanting to fulfill their boyhood fantasies. <laughs> We're um, gonna build a lamb, and it's gonna yeah. be great. It's gonna be awesome. Get the camera. This will be cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you you were there for almost uh, about a month. Did you, did you go to the premiere? No, no, I was I was I was not high enough up on the uh, on the food chain to oh. uh, to go to the premiere. I mean, the premiere is for the the actual film's premiere would be for the for the for the principal actors. Um, yeah. and, and, and chief crew, not the entire crew. I mean, you know, you, you could fill a theater with everybody who worked on Apollo 13. Yeah. You know, I, from... uh, I, I, uh, my, my cousin had worked for universal and I wound up, she'd got me in at a screening for the, uh, for the extras and the, and the walk on parts for the, uh, the 1980 movie Xanadu. Oh, <laughs> and uh, I saw it at a screening room in uh, in Universal. And I was I was really surprised uh, of all. The, I've been to like Paramount. I've been to uh, Universal and Warner, but Paramount had really um, utilitarian screening rooms to watch these things. I mean, it was like uh, like plastic bus seats. On, I don't uh, <laughs> not 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 quite there, but it was like like when you're at a bus terminal and you're sitting in those hard chairs that that are all lined up to each other. That's pretty much and a cement floor. And well, there's can... there's various screening rooms. A, a, a film premiere. Well, they'll do, they'll do screenings, but yeah. most of the screenings that I've been to were at were at theaters. Where even a cast and crew screening, they would rent out a theater in a like a like a in, in whatever city and show the film there, as opposed to show it at a, at a studio lot. Although there's there is a good screening theater at at Paramount because yeah, that's pa where Paramount is stunning. It's yeah. We yeah. did um, when I when I uh, I helped produce a film called Silent Night in uh, 2002, and we actually they actually did a uh, even though it was a, a Hallmark film, they actually had a screening at the Paramount lot, which was which was pretty unusual for especially for Hallmark. 
Yeah. But I, uh, but yeah, it was at the Paramount lot in a in a nice theater, and we did the whole did the whole thing, which was kind of cool. One of the stories about uh, about that Paramount theater that that's out. In, it's kind of like right outside the gate, but it's within the Paramount um, yeah. real estate. Um, is that uh, Spielberg used to edit in there, like as <laughs> he just take over the whole theater and use an editing bench because it was why not? You know, you're going to sit in a nice comfy chair and you sure. could actually. I mean. If you wanted to get the idea of how it was going to look up on a big screen, well, you could just look up on the big screen, yeah, and, and just run the different takes together. So uh, it was, you know, if if you have if you have access to it, why not? Why not? And if you're uh, Steven Spielberg, they usually don't say no. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's hey, got the. Uh, I'd it, like it, to do this. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> sure, you gonna work for us? Okay, that's not that's not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> it's the uh, one of the things also outside of the. Uh, paramount uh, theater that's they've put the forest gump bench is uh oh really part of the uh, the regular scenery there just outside the gate it's like gower used, street or i yeah. used to yeah i think it's on gower i used to work at paramount when i was doing background work and other things and and they used to have i used to love that they'd have displays they have almost like um like department store display windows around the lot that were part of whatever building and they would have the um, costumes and props and whatever from famous Paramount movies. So even if you were just there and like killing time, there were things to look at, you know? Yeah. It was like, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. You can see like Indiana Jones's whip and things like that. There, there's a, a part of the, if you get an, uh, on some of the tours, um, they don't really run a lot of people through them, but some of the tours will take you through their, um, their background prop rooms. Oh. And uh, I was just there about two years ago, and they had a whole bunch of leftovers from the Transformers movies. So oh, they wow. had like giant legs from um, I don't know what the different Transformers characters are, but they had you know they had the uh, the Bumblebee car that you know it, yeah. it's yellow, and they had it like in the middle of a change, and it was just parked there. It was made out of you know, styrene; you could pick it up with one hand. But it's just interesting seeing these these things that spend maybe a half a second on screen but you know, obviously somebody worked really hard on it well when i first when i first moved out to los angeles and started getting calls on the uh, universal lot i was delighted to discover that there was all this leftover stuff at the paramount lot that nobody gave a second look but to me it was fascinating there were there were ship models you know the, the big ones that they used on Tora, 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 and midway Wow. So big, like Japanese battleship would just be, and it would be like 12 feet long and just sitting on sawhorses, like under a tarp. <laughs> and if you just went and looked around, you're like, what is that? Oh my God, it's the Nagumo or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and my, my favorite find at the Universal lot was, if you're an aviation buff, the, the B-17 bomber has a distinctive profile. Yeah. And I was walking one of one of the first times I was on the lot and I we were at lunch and I was just walking around and I looked and I see the profile of a B-17 wrapped in blue tarp and it's all wrapped up. But that did not slow me no. down even for a moment. <laughs> and I found my way through the tarp and it was it must have been the set for something like the thousand plane raid or something that they used on, you know, that Steven Spielberg TV series. But even then it must've been laying around for a while. And it was the complete interior of a B-17 made out of plywood. Wow. And you, it was just, and I just you, sat there completely for Completely Dana Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, oh my God. You know, so, 
it's like, can I take the tarps off? I just, yeah, it was just, I mean, and I, I have, I haven't been on the Universal uh, lot probably in 20 years, but I mean, it, it was fascinating to just walk around there and just yeah, it, take if, it all in. If you get, I mean, it's very, it's very locked down nowadays, but if you had, if you had the right card and stuff, you could, you could wander through. And the things that I'd seen back in 1980, uh, just, just wandering around the, the I was, uh, that was when Battlestar Galactica uh, had done the sequel series Galactica 1980, and they did something where they went back to World War II or something. And they had, I'd just seen this episode, and I was wandering around, uh, they have like a train station, and there was a, there was a sign that said Pinamunda on the side of the train station. I'm like, I just saw this episode on Battlestar uh, Galactica 1980. And it was, it's just kind of weird seeing, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's how they make things oh, on TV. That's... And you just kind of, and, and you, know, you know this, but it's just, oh, it, you know, it, it's like when you see um, uh, the Munster's house. And, you know, it, all the, we have a tendency in, in popular culture that you think these are like, you know, hallowed ground that you should keep uh, Major Nelson's house from I.G. Magini, pristine and stuff <laughs> like that. But when you go to these, when you go to these places and you walk along the lots, you realize that there's only, it's only a shell. And if you open up any of those front doors, it's places like you see light stands and cables hung yeah. up on, you know, and ladders and things because none of this stuff really matters unless it's making money for the studio. So it, it, it when it, when you, when you aren't using it actively, it, it just goes, goes to hell right after, yeah. right after they finish a shot. And, 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 and they're not made to keep, yeah. you know, they're, they're made to be broken down afterwards. And yeah. it would, it would be fascinating to be in an empty set and, and recognize like pieces of a set, you know, from a show, like, and they're just broken down, you know, and, and if they can reuse them, they reuse them. And sometimes they just tear them apart for the wood. Yeah. But yeah, there's no, there's no sense that this is a piece of history. It's just, it's a project. It's over. Moving on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I I love being on the uh, the New York set in uh, in Paramount because it's it, you've seen it in some. I mean, you've seen it, like it's been redressed and it's the opening of Laverne and Shirley and stuff yeah. like that. And you see all these things, and then you find out you know when you're there, all the streetlights are uh, are one ten. So what yeah. you if you go to the bottom of the streetlight and open a door, there's a there's a light plug. Yeah. You, pl- you can plug in the street light and the light on up, you know, it's not built for yeah. illumination. It's just built. So you have a, you have a street light in frame Yeah, and it simultaneously um, gives you great insight into how movies and television are, are made. But then, it, you know, it, it suddenly just kind of breaks through and you say, Oh man, everything I was looking at is a lie, but these are good lies. They're, They're good just, lies. You know, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I was that guy on the Warner Brothers lot who leaned on a wall that wasn't a wall. <laughs> I'm just happy it didn't go over. But I just like, like lean on something and you feel it moving. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and, secret. You know, and, and, and you, you know, you'd, you'd go on these lots and you'd realize like, wait a second, this is, I, I recognize this from a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I, this was in a Spielberg movie. I recognize this house. So it's, it was, it was, it's, it was never dull. I mean, if you worked no. on a lot and you were bored, you just were. Yeah, you're not paying attention you, then. Just, yeah. You just don't get it. Because <laughs> I was constantly fascinated to just walk around. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I was on the Warner Brothers a lot and just they were moving stuff around and they had the um, they had the model from Hindenburg. <laughs> it's just they're just some guys pushing it. <laughs> it's like yeah. 20 feet long, but he's like they needed to move it. And I think they yeah. sold it a couple of years later. And you're, it's one of those moments you're like. Where could I put that? Yeah. This, 
I, I think if I got a good thing, couple uh, of good ceiling uh, hooks and a, yeah, <laughs> it's like I I absolutely don't need it and it's pointless. But by God, I would love to have that. Wow. So I get I get, it's it's the statute of limitations has already passed. But have, did you get any props from Apollo thirteen? Did you get to keep your uh, Did you get to keep your ID card? I think we turned everything in. Ah. I mean, they, they, you know, I mean, you, you, you came in every day because they always pull that stuff because they don't know if they're going to have to go back and do reshoots for some reason. So they, until everything is everything completely over, they'll collect everything up. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, certainly would have been cool to have that. And I don't know if I didn't squirrel it away someplace, but it's, it's in storage somewhere. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Did did you learn anything about Apollo 13 while while you were working on the on the movie that you didn't know before? I, I, I was completely unfamiliar with how with the procedures of mission control with, you know, we, we got the two hour briefing from the two Jerry's and then every day they would be explaining how something worked for like, for instance, the, the Clint Howard scene. They would explain all that prior to the shot so that Clint understood exactly what it was he was explaining and why it was an anomaly and so i would sit and listen to those things even though they didn't include me because i was just fascinated with what all the procedures were and just i mean even just the go no go process was so it was like a living checklist yeah certainly familiar with checklists from the military oh yeah you know these guys would just Gene would basically do a, a, a verbal checklist with everybody everybody had to say go no go yeah and and just so I think a lot of it was uh, was the details of how they did things. What was the what were the day to day procedures of mission control, and how did they manage? I mean, we're we're just looking at mission control, and obviously they're linked to so many other places. You know, they're they're yeah. linked to Canaveral. They're linked to all the know, tracking stations. all the tracking stations, and and yeah. you know the the people downstairs with the big computer, and and there's a separate computer a couple of blocks away in case that one drops out. Yeah learning they they talked about apollo 13 but of course they also talked about apollo 11 impressed upon us is just how simple the computer was i mean the yeah. i think the the command module had like a 20k memory yeah <laughs> like and that was a big deal yeah. yeah you know you know and and you know they they pointed somebody had a digital watch and said you know you and jerry said your watch is smarter than the apollo 13 <laughs> and everybody like looks at their watch and goes really you know but it's yeah, I mean, you're, you know, just a calculator from the 1990s yeah. was smarter than Apollo 13. Under under the real mission control was a computer the size of a city block that ran everything. And you, you, you never thought about those things. No, this you, is this is what you saw on TV and you didn't they didn't take you that far behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, there's underneath is this is this enormous computer in a, you know, an air conditioned room with a you know staff of technicians whose job it is is just to run the computer that's yeah. providing the data that they're using upstairs and then you know they talked about how every team had every guy in mission control there was a team of guys for each station but then they had a team that worked for them for problem solving sure i mean and they had the guys in in apollo 13 they referenced the uh, the guy from grumman in the lunar module well, all the contractors had representatives there, and they were they were on twenty four hour call during the mission as to if something happens, what is this? The whole idea of of how many simulations they had run and how some things never came up in the the, the simulations. Neil Armstrong is landing on the moon, and they're getting an alarm that 
had never come up in a simulation. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it, what? It, it, yeah. It's kind of a weird thing. I, I, I do have a question on speaking of, back, you know, guys in the background and stuff. Yeah. There's background actors like you, you're you're kind of in background. You're 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 a walk on. Yeah. And then there's the, the guys that, are, you know, down the front rows there that are kind of. But then I, I noticed about maybe 40 seconds in, there's the back room where there's the documentation room and the telemetry room. Yep. And there's like four guys back there. And I'm thinking, well, they all got high. How do you <laughs> how did they try out for a role where, yeah, we need you about 60 feet in the back with a with, with the Venetian blinds drawn and you're just <laughs> You're they're, just gonna kind of move around. They're probably the same guys that you see down in front, but when we turn the camera around, they Hi. say, "Hey, go sit up there because no one's gonna see who you are." Oh, okay. So basically, you're just a warm body, yeah. but you know, we we see you through the window, we see the shadows, we see whatever it is. So there was, there were the the actors who played the the guys with speaking roles in Mission Control, and then there were the featured guys like me who actually like had business and then there were guys who were just there yeah. you know and and if something came up and none of us went into it knowing that we'd be featured or not featured at any given moment so if if you were in the right place and they said you do this or could be in in in, in my case i'm pretty sure it was they liked my look because they were going to feature me on camera and i looked like it was 1970. So yeah. you've got the sideburns. You can really sell this. Great. Some of the guys, you know, not as much. They just looked too modern. So they would be in the background. Yeah. The, the guy with the folded arms doesn't look to me as as Gene gets the box. Yeah. The guy with the folded arms doesn't seem to have a 1970 haircut. Yeah. I mean, it was and that's a constant struggle in every and every period film I ever worked on. And there's been a lot of them. It's a constant struggle to get the actors to cut their hair. I don't know why that is. I mean, I get it from a, if I'm an actor and I get this day player part, so I'm going to work for one day on your movie, but most of the things I'm being cast for require me to have long hair. Yeah. I get why you're not committed to, you don't want to get your hair cut. On the other hand, that's the, that's the role. Yeah. Do you want to, do you, do you want a career in show business? That's what you Yeah. Do. I mean, I, I've, this month you get to do that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many, I don't know how many actors, cause you know, as a, as a military advisor, which is what I graduated to after Apollo 13, I would work with actors and they, you're, you're playing a guy who's an army ranger. Well, army rangers don't have long hair ever. <laughs> so they would not want to get their haircuts. Like buddy, you're, just telling you, the, you know, yeah. the, hair, the hair's got to go. Yeah, you're not going to have it touching the car. Of movies you've seen recently featuring military people, have you seen anything that looked realistic to you lately? I mean, I, I'm trying to remember the last military movie I've seen. I don't even know. I mean, there's, there's movies where they get it. There's movies where they get it right. What was the, what was the Mark Wahlberg movie about the SEAL? I mean, that Lone Survivor. Yeah, you know, they obviously spent a lot of time getting it right. I just I, I happened to watch that movie um, Tears of the Sun the other night, which I think is a pretty underrated film. I, I think it, it it's it's actually pretty good at what it's trying to do. But I mean, those guys all spent the time, put in the work to be believable in, in the roles they were playing. But you're all you're dealing with principal actors on that. You know, everybody yeah. there is is a is a has got a pretty substantial part. What's your what's your biggest eye twitch move when you look and say that's not I mean and we have to leave out Pearl Harbor, <laughs> but, uh, the perpetual eye twitch. Yes, I think haircuts do a lot to um, to take you out of the reality. I mean, you you know you're looking at a guy who's supposed to be some elite guy, and and certainly like special forces you know deployed they get to grow beards and do whatever they want because they have a different mandate. But I mean, you'll see some guy who's supposed to be like some elite 
warrior and he lo- looks kind of shaggy yeah yeah it's like um yeah you know, like where's scooby dude did you leave him behind yeah. i mean <laughs> um so that's a twitch and then you see people who you see people are out of shape i years ago i worked on a movie called executive decision and i wasn't the technical advisor but the technical advisor was pulling his hair out <laughs> and i mean steven seagal just looked like a bratwurst <laughs> i mean he's he's wearing a the army class a uniform which was the old green uniform with the with the black tie yeah and he looks like he just got stuffed into that and he realized people were laughing at him so then he changed into the um, camouflage the the battle dress uniform and he still looked like a bratwurst you know but it was like buddy you know like yeah, yeah. you know you knew you were going to be in this film and, and yeah climb a rope sometime <laughs> just i mean you're supposed to be you know but i i, I you see it all the time and it, and it's a combination of not wanting to have not giving the filmmakers have to make a commitment to realism and hire people who can help them deliver it. But they also have to be willing to say to the actor, get your hair cut or I'll bring somebody else in. Yeah. And that's I get their point of view. You know, you're on the film for one day. You don't want to get your hair cut because tomorrow you may get cast as paperboy or whatever. But yeah, it's it's you're, you're either committed to the role or you're not. And then I see I'll see a movie. I just saw a movie called Last Last Flag Flying, I think. Hmm. And it was an interesting film with uh, Steve Carell and, and uh, Brian, uh, Brian Cranston and Lawrence Fishburne about three Vietnam buddies who reunite to bury one of their one of them's kid is killed in, in Iraq. And I watched the movie and didn't think they had a technical advisor. And then I saw at the end that there was a credited technical advisor. And all I could think of is either they didn't listen to him or he wasn't comfortable enough pushing like, hey, that that's wrong or that's not going to work or that doesn't look right. But I mean, it was just strange watching. It's like, that's, that's bad. I, I worked on a film years ago for Showtime and I worked on it like the last week, like they shot in Canada for seven weeks and they came back and they shot one week in the United States to do a scene from the Gulf War. And they wanted to shoot out in the desert. And by the time it, by the time I walked on set, it was already wrong. Everything about Real it was wrong. wrong. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had used Canadian stuff instead of American stuff, and it just looked terrible. And I, in fact, asked them not to put my name on it because I didn't want people looking at that thinking, well, you had a technical advisor. Why didn't yeah, he do his job? Yeah. So I'm, I'm sympathetic with other people who've, who've tried to do it. But if you don't come into the process as a technical advisor, if you show up like after they've already done the script and after they've done casting and after all those things are in place, you're kind of rearranging deck chairs in the Titanic. I mean, you yeah, do your best, yeah. but you're not going to fundamentally change most of the things that are wrong. So, I, 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 this keeps reminding me. You've, I, I know you've seen Tropic Thunder. It's like the guy Fourleaf on the. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the technical advisor that really. No, no, no. You've read you've read a lot of books, but you don't you, yes. you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. There, there was a guy I, I worked as an extra on. I think Sergeant Bilko. And the assistant technical advisor was a guy from like public affairs. It's like <laughs> never been anywhere, never done anything. He like wrote ad copy for the army. It's like wow. that's not really the same as actually going out in the field and doing stuff. So all about requisitions. It's about <laughs> it's like, I appreciate. I mean, I, I appreciate the role public affairs plays, but yeah. you know, you those those should be skillcraft pens. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like don't don't come on set and try and you know ad, ad, advise people who've actually done it. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, well, here's how you do this. No, it's not. Sit down. <laughs> You're annoying people. Oh boy! Wow. 
Well, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad uh, to know that you got in in this role. You did. You did the pro- the part uh, justice. You really it came across <laughs> very well, and it really moved the uh, moved the action along, which is the role of any actor. There's, there's, there's no small parts, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> it's only small actors. <laughs> I tried Dig- not to be a small actor. <laughs> dignity, always dignity. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, I was. I have to say that that I, uh, I I went into it with no expectations. I was just happy to be on set and just happy to. I would have spent a month there just to meet Jim Lovell for a half an hour. Yeah. And then to, you know, have this ringside seat to recreating what is a, a brilliant moment in certainly the history of the space program, but just, I think in American history in general. So yeah, more than worth the price of admission. And the fact that I got to carry the vest, I will always be the vest yes. guy, Jim. Yes. They can take the away with, the man with the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I carried the vest, but, uh, but, <laughs> but, but I have to say that, that I probably will also never get over the indignity of, the weak voice casting that they did to have the guys say it's from your wife, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, wait, 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 you couldn't find a better actor. You know, it's like George Clooney wasn't yeah. available to dub me. I mean, <laughs> Alexander Scorby was still alive. Wasn't he? <laughs> yes. This is from your wife. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, what, what about that? You know, uh, the, the, the guy who did, uh, yeah, the, 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 the guy who did world inter- at war. I mean, yeah, I wanted, yeah, yeah, I yeah, wanted yeah. him. Lawrence Olivier. There you go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or, uh, yeah, or the in a world guy. <laughs> in a world where you have a new vest for each mission. Here's your vest. <laughs> but, I mean, I was hoping they were going to let me talk, but because they're all much smarter than I am, uh, the, the first AD, Ron Howard, the producers, if I had spoken, if I had given the line, because they shot the scenes in mission control in order, so it was, you know, sequential, Yeah, which is not common for, for films. Had I said, this is from your wife, I would have gone from being paid about $500 a week to being paid about $2,500 a week. Ah. <laughs> so it's a financial calculation. Yeah, but how much did they pay the VO guy? That's the <laughs> Well, you know, he comes in and they, they you know, he'll, he'll come in on, on voiceover day. It's called, they call it looping. And they they do the ADR stuff. They bring in the actors to loop their lines if they're not clear enough. But then they also bring in other actors to provide the guys on the radio, the guys, you know, everything in in the background. That's all done uh, in an ADR session. They get paid for one day and they do all the voices because they're non-credited. SAG has a formula for how they figure that all out. But they're not named people, so therefore they can just do... They, they did 20 lines that, that appeared off, off camera. So you don't see my lips move, in which case I would have had to be the guy. It is, Say lovey. It is a, <laughs> it's a fact of life in the movie industry, and if you don't want to work under those conditions, go, 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 go do something more useful with your life. Yeah, yeah, you can drive the uh, Universal Studios uh, the tram. I, I, I wasn't qualified. I, was trying, I applied, but nothing. nothing. Uh, oh, well, someday. Someday. That, that phone will ring. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But Rory, thank you, thank you so much for being on the show. Maybe we can get you on again later when uh, when we have the the Iwo Jima show up and uh, and we can talk absolutely about the inaccuracies absolutely. of Navy men. I am ready. I'm okay. standing by. I'll be looking at my phone for that call that never comes. Uh, well, no, I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll make the call. Don't worry. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, for for folks listening in, and if you've enjoyed this particular minute, you can enjoy the previous half hour plus one minute of yesterday at our big site, Apollo13minute.com, Apollo13minute.com. Catch up on the previous episodes. If you can, if you'd like to get these episodes delivered to you hot and fresh every morning, go to iTunes or Google Play. Uh, type in Apollo 13 Minute in the search bar, and then click subscribe, and they will show up in your inbox, ready to go every day, Monday through Friday. 
Uh, if you'd like to talk back with us, we are always available on the social medias. Of the, you know, if you want to go on the Twitters, there at uh, Apollo 13 Minute, and also out on the Facebook at Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control. We will be back tomorrow as we're really getting close to uh, liftoff time. So uh, be with us here. It looks like a uh, lost a signal here in 30 seconds. So we will see you here tomorrow for lunchtime on the Apollo 13 Minute. Thank you.